0: Okay, so, looking into this, these few verses here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 31, I want to just focus on really the last verse there that we read which says, therefore whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, this is the point really tonight, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Of course there we're told about food and drink and eating, food offered to idols and conscience, and that we should... Of course, you know, we should not be doing anything that's going to harm our brother or sister. You know, we don't want to be doing things that's going to offend people, especially when we're invited into their home. But all the things that we ought to do, whatever it is that we do, you know, that whatever includes everything, doesn't it? And we should, as it says earlier on, be those that are looking to the other's well-being. But I want to talk primarily about... The chief end of man. Last time, uh, last <coughs> evening, we spoke about this question that everybody, at some point in their lives, is bound to ask. I'm sure everybody has asked it in this room. Maybe at some point in their life, whether before conversion, even after conversion, what is my purpose? We spoke about this last week. What is my purpose? Have you asked that question? Have you wondered really why am I here what am I doing even as a christian am i just going to be going through life what is my purpose and we looked at the fact that many men and even and women as well of great minds have tackled this question for centuries philosophers philosophers should i say like aristotle inferred that our purpose is to exercise our virtue in accordance with reason. And in exercising that virtue, true happiness is found. So, if there's anything virtuous about us, and we exercise that in life, then we should be happy. And if it reaches a virtue in others, we should be happy. Others have also said that living in communal harmony, living together to live and let live, peaceful coexistence is the key to a successful life. Or do we see that today? That's all over the place today. Live and let live. Just be happy. As long as you're happy. As long as I'm happy. But the reality is, if you look around this world, people aren't happy. Don't matter what they're doing. You know, we we mentioned about those lifestyle choices that people are making today. That's all over the place. We're in Pride Month, aren't we? people aren't happy, they think they are, they pretend they are, but they're not happy. But we live in this kind of cloud of, uh, I don't even know how to explain it, it's like, we're all saying this, but it's not really true. It's in appearance, you know, whoa, pride month, this is great, but actually underneath it all, there's a darkness, there is no rainbow. So live and let live let's let's just coexist together and let's all be happy together then that is a successful life or whatever motivates us whatever it is that gets us out of bed in the morning that's our aim that's our purpose and then there are those others who deny that there is any purpose at all that we don't have a purpose that we make our own purpose that we make our own joy that we make the best out of being some kind of cosmic accident and so we live our life according to the fact, basically, my mum and dad married, I'm here, gotta make the most of it. But as Christians, we know that we're not merely here by accident, don't we? That living the life we have and are making the most of one day to the next. We're not like that. We know that we have a purpose. And we looked at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. It says we are what? We're his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. What a treasure that is. He has brought us to himself. He has created us, if we're in him tonight, in Christ Jesus. Ephesians speaks a lot about those words, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And he's created us in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What is our purpose? To walk in those works, to love God. Paul says, we are his workmanship. That is all believers, isn't it? All believers, therefore those works which he prepared beforehand that we might walk in them, it means all believers, it means every one of us. And as we look into history, there are those people that God has handpicked and chosen in this history, in world history, I don't know how much Christian history you've read into, how much you know about the past, how much you know about certain revivals that's come and gone, some of them true, some of them not, not so good. The whole of the, Re- the Reformation, the English Reformation, Protestant Reformation in the 16th century. That there are those who God has picked out to make a huge impact on the world. We think of those many names in the Bible, primarily those in the Bible throughout the Old and New Testament, who God particularly used. Think of the, you know, the 12 apostles if we look at the New Testament. There were 12, and 12 only. Not all were called to such a privilege. I know we have in the church today, those that think that we can still carry on in that apostolic gift, that there were 12 apostles of Christ. Not everybody is called to be an apostle. Not all are apostles. We see it at the end of Corinthians 12, don't we? Do all have this gift? Are all apostles? Are all teachers? No. And then we spoke certain names such as Ones that we probably all may know of, like George Whitfield, eighteenth century evangelist, who was involved with the Wesleys and a number of other contemporaries, who we might know if we name them in Great Revival. A great orator. He went over to America and did much work there, even died there. John Calvin. William Tyndale, we mentioned him this morning, who caused it to be that Perhaps that we have this Bible in English today. He was the very founder, if you like, of, of battling popery and Catholicism and, in order to cause the common boy who ploughed the fields to have a Bible written in his own tongue. And we also spoke of Charles Spurgeon, who God used again mightily in the mid, early and mid-19th century. So they're all relatively, or probably highly well-known people that you've probably all heard of that are all called in this manner. I would say no, not all are called into this manner. In fact, if you look at the whole world of Christianity, comparatively few are. Does that mean that we're not useful? Does that mean that they're better than us? Does that mean that that their ministry is uh, of of a greater use to the world than the one that God has given us? So the works which all believers are called, those who live in what we may even term the normal life, it can't mean Only certain extraordinary works. Not everybody is one of these people. Not everybody has been given that ministry like these men we have just briefly mentioned. But the works that Paul speaks of here are for all believers. They're for everybody and so can't mean that we're all there to make extraordinary works like those people. The works prepared beforehand that we ought to walk in. They include the fruits of the Holy Spirit. All those people, again, have these, to whatever degree, but so ought we. We ought to be living, moving in the fruits of the Holy Spirit. The desire to be free from sin, that's a work that has been created beforehand for us to walk in. Who gives us that desire to be free from sin? Who gives us that desire to walk in the freedom from sin, to hate it? it? Comes from Christ. To learn to mortify it in our bodies, as it says in Romans eight thirteen, to hunger and to thirst after righteousness, to desire to become more like Christ, to be separate. From the world. he talks about Christ. He was separate from sinners. That doesn't mean he, didn't, he had nothing to do with them. He didn't want to be near them. He didn't like them. He just thought, you know, put them all over there. I'm righteous. I'll stand over you. doesn't mean that. He went and ate in the houses of sinners. He meant that he wasn't a part and a parcel of sin. He was separate from sin. And we desire, don't we? I'll speak to Phil before how we, you know, things can could just pop into your mind from nowhere and you think, where on earth did that come from? The sin that we're tainted with, it's there and you're constantly battling with it, day in, day out. But we want to be separate from that. We should have a desire to be separate from it. We hate it. We want to kick ourselves when we think or act or speak in such a way that we know he's un like Those desires are from God. We want to be pleasing to him. That's a a great desire to have. I want to please the Lord. I wonder at times how much I do please him. But we should be growing in those things. These things are more about who God is making us rather than what we do. We are being conformed to the image of Christ by progressive sanctification. That means that we go from one degree of glory to another. That means that as we grow in our Christian lives, as we read the word, as we pray, as we ask God to reveal himself to us from this word, as we pray, as we grow in those things, that the desires of our hearts that he has planted in there should grow, that our sanctification should be growing. We're not what we ought to be, but we're also not what we were, and we're on our journey. Like John Newton said, we're on our way and we should be growing in those things. So we are on a progressive journey in sanctification which will find its ultimate fulfilment when we are in glory. On that great day, when we pass from this life to the next, whether that be when, when Christ comes if we're still here. Or whether that be the time when we close our eyes in death and we see him. We walk through the valley and we see him and we meet him. It says in scripture, when we see him, we shall be like him. In a twinkle of an eye, he shall be changed. When we see him, we shall be like him. Again, that's another one of those statements that to me are infathomable in our finite mind. When we see him, we'll be like him. Can you imagine... Being like Christ, I don't know that we can really imagine it while we're here, because our minds are corrupt. They're not so corrupt as bad as they could be. But nevertheless, as we are grown in sanctification and holiness, and we probably think and ponder on less of the things that we shouldn't do than we probably once did. But nevertheless, we haven't got the purity of mind. To understand fully what it means when we say, when we see Him, we shall be like him. But to be like Jesus Christ, when we read about his life, when we read who he is, and to think that I'm going to be like him. In that day, when he's perfected us, we shall be like Jesus Christ. That's a wonderful thought. So looking at the first question of the shorter catechism, it's also in the longer catechism as well, but. I looked at the, the Baptist version, uh, being sent this, it's kind of a, a rare thing to get hold of, but I have this uh, Baptist version, and I like this version because obviously it leads us into the understanding of baptism, where we believe in full immersion, of baptism, and not pedo-baptism, or credo-baptism, and so that's why I've used this one. But this first question, does anybody know what the first question is? Well, it's up there, it was anyway what is the chief end of man that is the first question of this catechism and that's really the question that we've been looking at isn't it what is our purpose what 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 am i doing here what is the purpose of my life and the question there is what is man's chief end at the end of our lives when we stand before god what end shall we have reached will we be able to say that we have lived in the context of the answer to this great searching question and what is the answer what is the answer to this first question what is the chief end of man man's chief end are you trying to remember Bradley man's chief end is to glorify god and enjoy him forever That, friends, is why we're here. You're questioning your purpose? What am I doing here? And I was thinking about this morning, you know, some of us might say, well, I'm old now. What can I do? Well, we saw what happened with Polycarp, didn't we? 86 years old, and he stood before those people who were going to kill him and said, 86 years, I've served my Lord. I ain't going to start denying him now. And then they murdered him by burning him at the stake thrusting a sword through him because the fire at that time wasn't <clears throat> up. Our end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The second question of the catechism asks this. What rule has God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him forever? So how are we going to glorify God? What what kind of things glorify god we are called to glorify him and to enjoy him forever what does it mean to glorify god how ought we to glorify god and the answer is this and i love this answer the word of god namely the scriptures of the old and new testament is the only rule to direct us How we may glorify and enjoy Him. What does that tell us? That tells us that it don't come from my mind or my own heart. Well, I believe that I can glorify God my own way. Well, the Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, and that way leads to death. How many people have said, well, I believe that there is a God. I believe in a higher power, and I kind of serve in my own way. I want to do things, I believe my own way. Well, maybe so, but you're likely not believing in the God of the Bible. And that way will lead to death. We glorify God, and this is the only way in these scriptures to know how to do that. It's the Word of God is vitally important. And from this pulpit will always be said how vital the Word of God is. Sola Scriptura, it's on the board. Isn't it? Scripture alone. 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17. Timothy, Paul is addressing. And he says, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, or it's breathed out by God. It's God-breathed. It's given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. Some translations it says perfect, but it means complete and whole. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. And it says it right there, friends. The word of God is all we need to live our life to glorify God. We don't need anything else. We don't need super extraordinary things We need the word of God. And he says to you from a childhood, you've learned them from being a child. That should really stir us on. Not only parents, it's a firstly and foremost parent's job to teach their children. But our children are here in this ministry and are seeing things from you. So everybody in this ministry, everybody in this church ought to be an example in front of the children. And they ought to learn the scriptures. And this scripture is given by God breathing it out. It's, it's without error. There's no error. And it is profitable for doctrine, for the teaching, for the reproof and correction and the instruction in righteousness. And I love it when he says the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good word. That shows you just how much as believers we need to be in this word of God. It's what thoroughly equips us. Ephesians 2, 19 and 22 For a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. He's speaking to the Ephesians. He's telling them that they need to be built upon the foundations and the teachings and the doctrines of the apostles and the prophets. And with Christ as the chief cornerstone. In whom the whole building. This is a whole. He's Talking to them. About being built together. To be a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. In Hebrews 11, verse 6, we're told, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God, listen to this, he who comes to God must believe that he is. And that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Believe he is. He is what? Believe he is I am. He said to Moses, didn't he? I am. Tell them that I am has sent you. I am what? Me, the third. I am a man. I am Russ. You are who you are. He just simply says I am. But we need to believe whoever comes to Christ, whoever comes to God, has got to believe that he is. It may appear simple, but to bring glory to God, we must believe him. We must believe that firstly he is God and there is no other. See that in Isaiah 45 verse 5. I've got a, a scripture for every one of these. There are more, believe me, but I've just written one. He is the God and there is no other. Isaiah 45 verse 5. We must believe that he is good and that he always does right. Where do we see that? Genesis 18 25, where Abraham asks, if there are so many, will you save them? If there are so many righteous, he says, Shall not the judge of the earth do right? We have to believe that he is absolutely holy and that we ourselves ought to be holy also. We need to believe that he is sovereign, that he is over all things, that his will and counsel stand, and whatever he does, he does. We must believe that He is unchangeable, He is immutable, that He doesn't change. We must believe that He is almighty in power. We must believe that God is gracious and that He is merciful. We must believe that He is love and that He is just. We have to also believe, when it comes to man, that all mankind have fallen the fallen in sin and are by nature enemies of God. That sinners actually deserve God's wrath. We must believe when we come to God that sinners can in no way please God in and of themselves. We must believe without a shadow of doubt that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You must also believe that being the son of God, that he was sent and that he came to save sinners. That he is the only way to salvation. That's one of the issues in today's generation. So many ways to God, even so-called churches, I don't call them churches, but there are churches today, um, a lot primarily actually, uh, it's the one that you came from all those years ago, the Church of England. Many of them teach you that there are so many different ways to God. That this isn't the only way. They're being turned and pressed upon by the world to conform and to conform they do. Jesus Christ is the only way to God, and we make no bones about that. We make no apologies for it. We need to believe when we come to God that Jesus bore our sin on the cross. And something else that is uh, questioned a lot by many people today, we need to believe that Jesus died on behalf of sinners. And you might think, people question that? Absolutely they do. The substitutionary atonement of Christ is, is questioned by many people. Jesus, the Son of God, dying on behalf of sinners? I'm not quite sure that that's so true. Why would God do that to his only beloved Son? It is, believe me, it is questioned in this generation. We need to believe that Jesus Christ rose again from death on the third day. And then from that we need to believe that we have forgiveness. That our sins are dealt with through the blood of Christ on the cross. We need to believe that through his death we are justified, and that in his resurrection, as it says in Romans 4, that shows that we are justified. He was raised, it says, for our justification. We need to believe that if we call upon the name of the Lord, believing upon him in our hearts that God raised Christ from the dead, and confessing with our mouths that he is indeed Lord. That we shall be saved. We need to believe that's true. And we need to believe that we have eternal life through truly knowing God and Jesus Christ who he has sent. John chapter 17 verse 3. That is eternal life. To know thou the only true living God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. That's what eternal life is. All these things. This is by no means an exhaustive list. But saints, we must believe that he is. We must believe all these things. And he will be glorified when we believe upon him. When we believe in all these things. And we put our trust in him and him alone. That glorifies the God of heaven. When we believe that Christ is the only answer to our sin. And if we just lean upon him. For our salvation. If we put our trust in him. For our faith and trust and hope. It glorifies him. Scripture says doesn't it. That when he returns. He'll be glorified in his saints. All those that love him. He'll be glorified in them. We must believe. That he is the great I am. And knowing these things. And believing these things. We ought to heed. The following scriptures 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 1 through 8 Paul says finally then brethren we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you received from us how you ought to walk to please God for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus for this is the will of God your sanctification that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honour, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger of all such. As we also forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanness. But in holiness, therefore he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. You've received from us how we ought to walk before God, how to please him. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9 says, therefore we make it our aim, Paul says, we make it our aim, whether, whether present or absent. To be well pleasing to him. Again in Colossians 1, 9 and 10. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Speaking to the Colossians of course. And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. In all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you may walk worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing to him. Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is what we're called to. What is your purpose? What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That we might know how to walk worthy of the Lord. That we might please him. That we be fruitful in every good work. And that our knowledge of God increases. That is what he's called us to. And that may include something remarkable. That may, they may include something like, uh, you know, a Charles Spurgeon being brought through this church, let's just say as an example. Maybe. But my concern is that the lives that we live, no matter where it is, God, is, God has called us to work with our hands, hasn't he? It's called us to provide for our families. It's called us to be good fathers and good mothers, to love our children, to love our spouse, to love our families, to work righteously, to be a good example of the things of God before men generally. That is what He's called us to do. And that, my friends, will glorify God in the life that you live. Bond servants. He goes on to say in Colossians three, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleases, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men. I look at that and I think bond servants and masters, and I think I think about you know bosses. You know, we work, and we all have those that are above us. And we ought to be pleasing to them, whether they're righteous or not. We ought to be pleasing to our masters, our bosses, those at work, who are over us, the managers that we have, whatever. And we ought to be pleasing to them in righteousness, walking and showing them an example of goodness and kindness, and the love of Christ, and to be that employee that outshines all the rest. Not because we're competing to get the, you know, the award for the month or whatever, but because we want to please the Lord, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in his knowledge. That we do whatever we do, do it heartily, firstly unto the Lord and not unto men. He is the one that will reward us when we do things in secret, when we choose to serve those amongst us, we've heard it already tonight from Phil, when we serve each other in righteousness and holiness and love and we do things for other people that we keep secret so we don't project it and, and put it out there that everyone knows how good and charitable we are. But we do those things in secret and God is glorified and he rewards reward you in the open. We must be believing and trusting in Christ our salvation. And as Paul says in Colossians 3, verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. And eye is not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those that love him. And finally, we need to be those people who speak as Paul spoke. For me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. So what is our purpose? Our purpose is to love God, glorify Him in every area of our lives. No matter what He does with us. No matter where we are, no matter what time. To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And if we do that, if we glorify Him, if we live according to those things we've read in these scriptures. And we glorify God And we'll enjoy him. And then we'll get to that place. Which we started. Where when we stand before him. When we see him. We'll be like him. Amen. Let's pray. Father we thank you for your word. Thank you Lord. That you have called us. Every believer. To glorify your name. You've called every believer. Into those works that you prepared beforehand. That we should walk in them Lord. And they are, in one sense, extraordinary. For, Lord, they are not works that we can walk in by ourselves, of our own accord, but are those things that you give us the power and strength to do. And so I ask, Lord, tonight, that we would no longer question the purpose of our lives. That we no longer strive after being something, perhaps, that we're not. That we won't anchor after those things that, perhaps, you have not given us. But, Lord, we take the life that you have given us, The family that you've given us. The wives and children you've given us. The work that you've given us. The surroundings, the place to live that you've given us. And Lord, that we would strive by the power of the Holy Spirit to live holy before you. And Lord, to be found walking in those works which you've called us to do. May we glorify your name that we might walk in righteousness before you, that we may desire to be free from the entanglements of sin, that we might live before our workmates in righteousness and be those people that when they they come under some oppression or some trouble, that even though they may have ribbed us their whole work life, that we be found to be those people who they come to first, because they know that we are godly and that we have the answer the answer which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us Lord we pray and may your name be glorified amongst us in every area of our lives. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen.